BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama, where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports, or unwind on a mile-long, pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views. This vacation paradise has it all. Celebration Key, welcoming guests in summer 2025. Carnival, choose fun. Copyright 2024, Carnival Corporation. All rights reserved. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama. This is episode 12 of The Bowery Boys. Coney Island, the golden age. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. Bowery Boys is brought to you by Euro Cheapo. Euro Cheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at eurocheapo.com. Hello there and welcome to The Bowery Boys. I'm Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. Thanks for tuning in this week. We've got a really... Cool episode, I think, coming we up. We certainly for you. hope. Yeah, this is episode number 12 on Coney Island. And I guess episode number 13 is going to be on Coney Island, too. Yeah, this will be our first two parter. We just, we decided, we sat down with this information. I mean, let's be honest, you could have a whole weekly podcast just on Coney Island. Right. And that's actually a good idea. So if you're listening <laughs> and you're an enthusiast, try it. It's not that. Well, we want to hear it. <laughs> I was going to say it's not that hard, but uh, right. We just make it look easy. Um, anyway, Coney Island uh, history is so rich. It's so fantastic that we have a lot of unique facts in store for you. We want to put them in a little bit of a different way. We're actually going to take you back, not to the beginning, but to the peak of Coney Island's golden age. We're going to take you back to 1904. So mm. strap on your time machine belt or whatever time <laughs> machine vessel in which you have sitting around. Set it to 1904, summertime, the week before Labor Day. Come back with us. Let's go there now. It's 1904, and you decided to take off from Manhattan and head for Coney Island for the day. For a day of relaxation or a day of amusement, it's hot in the city. And you take the train, the Coney Island and Brooklyn Railroad that's been open since 1860, straight into Coney Island. And once you get out of the station, you step out. What is it you see? There's just so much going on that your eyes can't really take it in. You just see crowds, families, buildings of all different shapes and sizes and just Greek Roman buildings to more modern buildings to exotic buildings with Arabian minarets. People are pushing past you, sprawling out in front of you. You see the beach in the distance, but you see Ferris wheels in front of you. You see a giant five-story elephant with people inside it. And oh yeah, you see some prostitutes bumping into you. Some gamblers. Behind you. And 
what you're hearing, you're hearing, of course, laughter from everyone having a gay old time, but you're also hearing screams from people being freaked out uh, by these new mechanical amusements that are popping up everywhere. Or maybe getting pickpocketed. (laughs) You hear music coming from the music halls. You hear the roller coasters grinding to a stop. Um, The smell in the air is this weird kind of perfume mixture of uh, smell, the smell of hot sausage, of clams baking, smoke coming from men's pipes. Even the ocean wafting towards you, the smell of horses of going by <laughs> you with carriages. Don't forget the horses. So with all of these sens- sensory overload, what do you do? You, you're, you walk in, you walk down the main stretch. And, and you're looking for the right amusement park. Maybe you want to go to one of these big three amusement parks that they have. Do you want to go to Steeplechase Park? Uh, mm. That's where you can go and you can ride the horses, the mechanical horses. Well, you could also go into Luna Park where you can just bask in the garish architecture and walk through other bizarre scenes and tableaus. Or do you choose the third one, the more moral but kind of far more twisted dreamland that features dioramas of Noah's Ark and all sorts of strange strangeness. But also, you don't even need to pay any money. You could just head straight for the beach. Well, there are bathhouses there. You'd have to pay to change into something. What would you change into? Well, you'd change from your city duds into your big, thick, flannel, full-body bathing suit. Of course. <laughs> with your bathing hat. <laughs> but if you don't feel like doing that yet, you could go out. You could go go watch horse races. You could go watch some boxing. Yeah, you could gamble. You'd go to a brothel. If you wanted to. <laughs> or, or even a sideshow. Probably even weirder. So Yeah, you could see things you never even thought possible. <laughs> or you could just eat. But plenty of places to plenty eat. Plenty of places in the beer gardens, in the uh, clam bakes. Well, there are the also some nice restaurants there. And then these strange little booths that you don't really know what they are. You've never really seen them, but they're serving sausage on a roll. Hmm. Sausage on a roll? How could you eat sausage on a roll? I don't know. Well, if you're upper class, you raise your nose at the sausage on the roll, and you stroll down to uh, Brighton Beach, where you can at least escape escape the mayhem and and go into a nice resort. Yeah, and check into one of the nice hotels, the Oriental or the Manhattan Beach or the Brighton. Or do you just throw up your hands and you just try it all? But hold your horses. Hold hold your mechanical horses, yes. (laughs) Hold your mechanical horses, and let's situate the listener and realize where we are. We're at Coney Island, which is not actually an island. It was, I guess, an island at the very beginning. A little bit of time. Right, but it's, it's just a small peninsula that's hanging off the southern end of Brooklyn, at the very southern tip of Brooklyn. It was an island in the 19th century at the beginning, separated... Uh, from Brooklyn by the Coney Island Creek. Yes. It's it's five miles away from Manhattan. You can get there these days um, on a subway from Manhattan, what, 30, 45 minutes? Lots of lines day? go there. Yeah. Right, sure. The F, the B, the D, lots of things. Or you could drive. Yes. Uh, but, of course, you couldn't always drive. And in the early 1800s, they reached it by ferry. It wasn't until the mm-hmm. 1860s that you could get out by a streetcar. And then well, it wasn't even until 1920 that you could get there by subway. Or car. Regular right. car. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> the, uh, now, the name Coney Island, it may seem kind of obvious if you know kind of like English word origin. Because the, wor- the, the word Coney right. actually is an English word, an old kind of antiquated word for the word rabbit. And it was, in fact, um, the the Dutch called the island Conged Island. <laughs> <My> Brilliant. <laughs> I don't think that's right at all. But it was, uh, you know, 
tons of rabbits on lots. Yeah, lots it was of that, it was really overrun by the critters. But there were yeah, but there are other other theories of where the name came from. There was an Indian tribe nearby named Kono, right? Uh, there but were, the English said that it was named after the cone-like hills to be found. And then uh, Henry Hudson, the the explorer who actually stopped stopped there on his travels, one of his men died who happened to be named Coleman. So I guess people just stretched that Coleman out. Coleman Island, like I guess uh, so. Or there's yet another one. The Irish, it's named after an Irish island in the 1700s. Right. Uh, by the Irish captain Peter O'Connor, I kind of like it just like rabbits. Lots. Of I like rabbits. the rabbits too. So let's just stick. That's that's going to be our story. And it was. I mean, there was rabbit hunting there until really the resorts were built. So right, people went out there primarily to hunt at first. The the first road that was actually built there was in 1829. It was called the Shell Road because it was probably literally made with oyster shells. Oh, and that actually linked that to the mainland. And there was a the town of Gravesend was actually the closest town to it. Because Coney Island was not a part of Brooklyn at this point. No, it wasn't. And so they called the Coney Island Road and Bridge Company, and they built the little shell road. And then once they built that, they built what would be the first resort there called the Coney Island House. And uh, people would start to go out there at, in, you know, in that period of time, and they would, they would hunt and just go out and relax for the day, not doing quite the things that you do now in Coney Island. Right, but you would have a lot of uh, luminaries and famous people went out there. Even then, it's had a bit of a reputation, like Walt uh, Washington Irving, Walt Whitman, Herman Melville. Really? So, and in, as early as the eighteen forties, they were already having some battles over land oh, rights. Exactly, because I guess they could see what was happening out there. There were people who were pushing for preservation of the beachfront property, especially as these new hotels were popping up. This is, of course, a theme that would carry over. <laughs> Well, about, until yeah. yesterday's newspaper, <laughs> you know, it's still it's still an issue that we're dealing with. They didn't quite. Uh, those who wanted the park didn't quite win, though. However, it's uh, it's soon tons of hotels just started getting built out there. Uh, in 1862, there mm-hmm. was a, a uh, the train line, right? Right, and that was a huge deal because suddenly. You know, I guess you could get there before by ferry, but suddenly it was really available to the masses. And Coney Island was a day tripper's destination. Mm-hmm. For one quarter, you could you could get from Manhattan into Coney Island. And just what made it so that was one of the reasons that made it such a perfect spot. Also, because it's like a southern, it's a beach that sort of faces south. You get sunlight all during the day because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. In this way, making it a perfect beach. Absolutely. So, in some ways, it's not the perfect beach, <laughs> but in other ways, it, it really is. Yes, at least in location. And especially with the influx of immigrants at this time uh, and a city population that was exploding. People were looking for ways to escape the summer, the summertime heat, the heat from all of the new tenement buildings. They needed to get to the mm-hmm. beach, and Coney Island was their beach. Now, there were two men who were significant in the 1860s. I think basically set the course for Coney Island up until now, even. The first one, his name is, and don't laugh, his mm-hmm. name is John McCain. Oh. <laughs> his name is John McCain, right. MCK. A-N-E. And he was a commissioner of the land for many, many years. And not like so many New York uh, government officials at the time was terribly corrupt. Uh-huh. And so he got kickbacks from you know, thousands of dollars worth of kickbacks from 
uh, selling land to developers, and he would sell it to anybody who would ever just you know give him the extra money. And you had to go through him in order to you get had, something abs- built. Yeah, absolutely. So during his phase was a huge boom time for the real. Like it got its name Sodom by the Sea. Partially right. because of his efforts, or rather lack of efforts, if you will. Uh, he actually had a quote that s- said, Houses of prostitution are a necessity on Coney Island, <laughs> and I don't plan to interfere with the gambling at Brighton Beach or Sheepshead Bay. Uh, after all, this ain't no Sunday school. Th- that it ain't. <laughs> so, anyway, he became the uh, police chief. Also, <laughs> so it kind of helped out things a little bit, and he would even he even rigged voting booths for his political friends, political cronies. Wow, uh, whatever happened to him? How long was he out of county? Um, well, he was out he was out there until the early nineties, and that was when New York State officially made Coney Island part of Brooklyn. Right, 1894. And so but they finally got a kind of a hold of him and his corrupt practices. They threw him in Sing Sing, and he died five years later. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. But... You know, let's, there's another man out there who created a much more positive experience for the traveler, and his name was Charles Feltman. Right. And in 1869, he was a, G- a German butcher, and he also sold pies. His clients that, that, that bought his pies wanted some sandwiches as well, but they didn't fit in his little carts. So he was like, well, why don't I make a smaller sandwich? So he had these specially built carts, and what it was was a sausage that you would just put in a roll. Now, he also invented, if you will, the concept of a warm bun, a warm roll. Nobody had, had ever warmed them before? Well, I don't, that sounds strange, but I guess not in this mass-produced way that he did. So he basically, that's right, created the hot dog, and it was out there on Coney Island. Wow. And he, it, it was a boom. He, he made a lot of money. He opened... Uh, hotels and restaurants up and down became quite a millionaire in fact he became a little bit of a rival of mccain who started spreading rumors that his hot dogs were filled with dog meat but flashback <laughs> to sweeney Todd. on top of that he slapped taxes on all of his little stands so there was a little bit of a rivalry but hot dogs beat out over corruption he was able to uh carry there on is the justice rumors. in this world and, you know he died in 1910 but he left a business that was over one million dollars to his family and, and well and we should say of course that hot dogs are still a big part of coney island we'll get into that in the next episode next week yeah but but this also brings up the issue of you say these independent operators 
mm-hmm. you can just imagine all the people like Charles operating stands, all the stands, all the concession areas, all the people trying to make their fortune exactly selling anything to the masses who are arriving. There's there are these even little miniature neighborhoods within Coney Island, one called the Gut which was all these wooden buildings that McCain had actually um, commissioned to be built, and they were all, of course, burnt down later. Saloons and cabarets and things, almost like an old west, if you will. Right, and this is where the gambling was and the prostitution. And there was another, in fact, there was a neighborhood called the Bowery. Right. (laughs) Mr. Boy, Bowery Boy. There was a neighborhood called the Bowery that was resembled its Manhattan neighbor in this sort of like swarthiness and the the amount of of liquor and boozing and, and gambling. But there were also vaudeville. There was also... You know, there were fireworks, there was entertainment, it wasn't all uh, seedy. And we should also, to get back to situating the listener, we're, we're, if you imagine Surf Avenue, which is right there, it's the last avenue before the ocean, that entire area between Surf Avenue and the water was just packed with these places. Uh, they didn't actually have streets leading from the avenue up to the beach. You'd, you'd kind of make your way through these different concession areas and rides and amusements and things like that. It wasn't until much later when the city came in and actually cracked down on some of this and and there was yet another land struggle in 1900 when the city be- began to reclaim the beachfront rights uh, south of Surf Avenue. So by this point, that entire area had been completely built over. The amusement industry was really angered by this, and they lobbied against it. And they ended up settling on an agreement to start the beach a 1,000 feet south of Surf Avenue, uh, which they would mark by a boardwalk that the city would build and maintain. And they would allow the space in between for amusements and all of these things. It would be marked or zoned amusement. And they did say, though, that they had to make some streets that went from Surf Avenue up to the beach. And anything that was in the path would be demolished. Hmm. So you can imagine... (laughs) I bet some really strange things got ripped down. They cleared cleared the way. The uh, amusement park... Right, Actually. We mentioned three big ones. Yes, but it actually got its start with another one by the name of Sea Lion Park. And believe it or not, no one had ever come up with this idea. But in 1895, Sea Lion Park was opened by the man named Paul Boylton. It was a, an aquatic-themed park. It was centered with a ride called the Shoot the Shoot. It had uh, like roller coasters, trained sea lions, a little circus, and all sorts of stuff. But this sort of like caught on in people's imagination. Well, and it was, as you say, the first time that they actually put walls up around an amusement park. So before you just had amusement, general amusements operated by independent operators, and now we had one guy coming in, building his park, and walling it off. Why? Were they doing it because of the, to make more money, or, or why? <laughs> no, they were doing it to keep out the undesirables. So they were not actually trying to keep people in. They were trying <laughs> to keep out the gamblers, the pickpockets, the prostitutes. Again, these these prostitutes. That I mean, from the reading that we've been doing, it sounds like the the area was swarming with like prostitutes. <laughs> a thousand Julia Roberts walking the streets. Um, so anyway, the the idea of these amusement parks caught on. So the uh, and may I yeah, just say sure. it also featured the flip flap railway. <laughs> Which was because we just have to introduce some of these rides. I mean, they, they, they were really groundbreaking moments in the amusement history. Um, <laughs> it was built by Lena Beecher and it featured a circular loop that would take riders up to, upside down, sometimes breaking their necks. <laughs> and but it was it has a distinction of being the first coaster to go upside down. That sounds. 
absolutely frightening. The days before lawsuits. Uh, so in 1897 was when the steeplechase, which was one of the first parks we mentioned right. earlier in the podcast, it was developed by a man named George Tillyou, and it was built around an actual a steeplechase, like a mechanical horse race, where adults would actually get on these mechanical horses. You'd sit like you're watching a real horse race, and they'd have a little, you know, you a track, you'd a track, and you cheer for the but winner. But it's not like a, it isn't a um, a carousel. You're actually sitting on a horse, and you're flying along the track. Cor- correct. It's in a an oval. Okay. It's not in a in like a no. It's not like a turning carousel. Correct. His rides were basically, as he claimed, designed around the concept of. Theatricality and vertigo. So some of the other things that were in Steeplechase Park, he had a human roulette wheel, Mm. which was like a gigantic toy that people just sat in the middle and it just turned around really, really fast and probably just flung people to the sides. And I guess they just loved it. <laughs> when you and you enter the park through something called the barrel of fun, which is rotating cylinder. So as you walked in, like you taught, you'd fall into you know into people, and of course, if you're like a single young lady or something, you fall into the arms Oof. of a man. Creates a little tension. They had called the and you, you walked past there. You went into the blowhole theater, which was these little holes on the uh, in the ground. So as you walked by them, they blow air up, and so women's hats would fly, fly off. Maybe even their skirts would blow up. Oh. And then after you do that, you can sit in the what they called the laughter gallery, where you sit and you watch people as their hats fly off and their skirt. So it's a little it's a gas Schadenfreude. I think it's to delight in other people's yeah Um, misfortunes. And but I think that we should introduce, of course, you know, at this point, it was the height of Victorian ethics too, and so people were looking for any excuse. To shake it up a little with the opposite sex. Be a little body. Yeah, be a little body in in the mixer and the barrel of love. And he also had something called the human pool table. (laughs) And and I love I don't know what this was, but the soup bowl. (laughs) So if anybody, if any of our listeners knows anything about the soup bowl, I'd be interested. And there's one more I want to tell you about because it transitions to the next part. It's called a trip to the moon. Um, it was a cyclorama, which is basically just a sort of like a vehicle you get in, and, and whether it moves or not, it, it depends. But they have windows where you look through and different images go by as if you're on some sort of like a flying vessel. So in this one, you get into the trip trip to the moon, and you get out and you meet little moon men, like midgets dressed like – and giants <laughs> dressed like moon men. You have moon maidens, and then they give you uh, some souvenirs in the form of green cheese. However, <laughs> the two men that he brought in who designed that, Frederick Thompson and Elmer Skip Dundee mm. – had a dispute with him because it was a very successful ride, and they decided to uh, do their own ride. And they did. Park, I mean. They built their own park. They they named it Luna Park. They built it just six years later. Uh, Luna Park was following Thompson's belief. He he said that visitors quote are not in a serious mood and do not want to encounter seriousness. What is presented to them must have life, action, motion, sensation, surprise, shock, swiftness. Or else comedy. So he <laughs> went over the top. He spent a million dollars putting this place together. And you can imagine a million dollars 105 years ago. Back then, that's crazy, yes. And there, there had never been anything like this before. It was on 22 acres of land. It was spectacular. Oh, and this is the one that was actually the Sea Lion Park. It was actually in the, in the side of right, that when so it closed it was, down, correct? Yeah, I should have mentioned that. I'm sorry. They bought out the Sea Lion Park. Mm-hmm. Took over the space, used 
22 acres to create this incredible environment. Um, it was glorious. It was garish. I mean, they built everything. You know, you see these photos, these images of these lagoons and these domed buildings with these arches and trellises and walkways. And I mean, we're talking about a massive, massive space. Right. It kind of reminds me of the World's Fair in Chicago that had happened about 15 years before, right. um, where they just built this huge environment that that seems so over the top. I mean, you wonder what it was really made of. It looks like it's made of stone, but I oh, I wouldn't yes. be surprised if it was more like paper mache. <laughs> and what were some of the couple of the rides well, that they had? Well, or, the, or he had some strange things. I mean, he had lots and lots of different animals. You could mm-hmm. see camels and elephants. Part of it is sort of like a whacked out Epcot Center today. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. because you could visit China, you could walk through the Arctic, you could fly to the moon, you could do these kinds of things. But it was also mm. always with this push to have as much fun as possible. Right. And and they called it the Electric Eden because uh, for the first time they were using light bulbs. And Thompson and Dundee invested so much money in installing 1.2 million electric lights. Wow. So this this place lit up. It, it competed with the very skyline behind it. Well, you and must it have was something for, spectacular. Yeah, you must have seen it for miles because you don't have all these sky, like skylines like you do now to sort of compete with that. It must have been amazing to see. Yeah, I, I strongly urge people to do some research and see some of these photos. Yeah, because they're beautiful. Yeah, they really they're, are. They're beautiful and they're gaudy and they're just they're so over the top. Well, and sp- so speaking of over the top, I should we should now mention the third park in our triumvirate of amusement. <laughs> Dreamland was created by a man named William Reynolds, who actually had a little bit more of a moralistic bent to his park, though. Once I describe a couple <laughs> of these far things, do morals go in Coney kinda, Island. It's kind of like the most unpolitically. A kind of shocking part to me, I think. It just, it sort of offends our current morality in him trying to present his own. So he would have these little diorama of like Noah's Ark, where he would have like, you know, actors and real water and real animals, Hell's Gate. Like, what would hell be like if you wanted to walk through it? I think that sounds kind oh, of fun, fun, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Another day at the park with the kids. But then he hired this showman from St. Louis. His name was Samuel Gumpers. He was hired to build a little place called Lilliputia. Lilliputia was a miniature 15th century German town. What made it so interesting was that it was entirely populated with midgets, 300 little people. They had a little parliament. They had a little fire department. They even had a little king and queen, Count and Countess Magri. And they just sort of like ran stuff and people could watch them observe their everyday activities and it actually you know it kept running after the it shut down at night it was a real community and this was also the time you know the height of the sideshow popularity so anybody anything exotic little people big people red people green people they were on display and people were willing to see them well gumpers is the father of the sideshow and we'll get more into it in part two Mm. but he would he had no qualms about bringing people from all sorts of countries smuggling them into the United States and putting them on display. People from Africa, people from Polynesian right. countries. And, and this and, was all done with the pretense of being sort of the moral approach. It preached morality, and it was built in this lovely neoclassical way. So it looked very sort of classic and acceptable and family-friendly, and um, it was really never as popular as the other two. It, it, it wasn't, and to finally sort of wrap up an, a big irony that kind of happened was they also had this thing called Fighting Flames, mm. where they it would be like 
you know, a, a six-story building would be burning. People would sit and watch like a six-story building burning with people in it and have Sounds firemen like, a- like racing and, and saving them and like taking putting out the fire. And that would be an entertainment to watch. Now, it shouldn't surprise you then to find out that Dreamland actually was destroyed in a fire in 1911. In fact, almost all of the parks that we mentioned burnt down in a fire or had some serious fires, correct? D- Correct and sad, but side note to the Dreamland fire, we must also add that the aforementioned (laughs) Midget's fire department did respond to the fire and, in fact, assisted the New York fire department. But unfortunately, they had their hoses were too small, so they couldn't help. (laughs) But even Steeplechase Park burnt down. Yep. But at least uh, its owner sold tickets to the event, to the burning ruins. You could still go and watch them burn and smolder. So <laughs> so we're leaving Coney Island at its peak. I do, and- I do have one more thing to add. Okay. Probably the weirdest thing I could possibly imagine seeing on Coney Island. Another exhibit that they had. It wasn't in any one of the parks. You could just go along and it was sort of like part of a sideshow. You could see... In 1904, and this actually lasted until the 40s, you, you could see premature babies in incubators. <laughs> That's... They had what they... It was a new... That te- is so awful. It was right? a new technology, so that in order to sort of raise interest, they would just bring out all of these infants that were like two or three pounds, put them in incubators, and you could pay 10 cents, and you could walk in and you could look at the babies. How would they get the children? Well, they were just born in the hospital. They would just take them from the parents they, and put what? them in the incubators. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's true. And, okay. I think we need to cut this podcast off and, now. And, We've already run tw- about 30 and, minutes. And preemie twins were the, the most popular. Well, I'm glad they won the contest. Um, on that note, I think... On, on that rather bizarre note, we have more bizarre stories on Coney Island it, when we come back next week. And it will involve a certain... Wheel of Wonder, a certain roller coaster that will ensure that you're not in Kansas anymore. And a certain parks commissioner who we just can't (laughs) seem to get rid of. And and a good old boy named Nathan. Mm. All of that and more next week on the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Check out the website this week. We'll have lots of Coney Island pictures. There you can email us uh, suggestions, corrections, and any show ideas. We really, imp- we really appreciate the emails that we've been receiving over the past couple of weeks. And, yes, we're going to actually read some of them or put them up on the website, just a few of them. Uh, there's some really f- great stories and suggestions from people, so I, we really appreciate it. That website, by the way, is BoweryBoysPodcast.com. BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Thanks a lot for joining us. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama, where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports or unwind on a mile-long pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views this vacation paradise has it all celebration key welcoming guests in summer 2025 carnival choose fun copyright 2024 carnival corporation all rights reserved ships registry the bahamas and panama